0: (coughs) king Josiah of whom we have been reading about this evening was one of the youngest monarchs to ever reign upon the throne of Judah that doesn't set him apart the bible tells us what set uh, Josiah apart in 2nd Kings 22 and verse 19 was that he had a tender heart he had a tender heart that's very significant I don't think that goes necessarily with youth, but it certainly is less found in old age. Josiah has been described as a righteous branch from a wicked root. A righteous branch from a wicked root. It's amazing to think really of his family tree. Sometimes... I have set myself the task, I'm going to investigate my family tree. And then I've gone back a wee bit and said, no, no, I don't want to know any further. Well, you go back into the family tree of Josiah, and it just gets worse. It doesn't get any better. His grandfather was the wicked Manasseh. Manasseh who introduced idolatry into the land of Judah, and who made the people of Judah to sin more than any other Now his reign began very badly but remember when he was in captivity in Babylon that God met Manasseh and changed him by the grace of God and he came back again to his throne in Jerusalem and in Judah and he tried to undo the things that he had done but listen it is very very difficult after a life of sin to undo the damage that has been done So it was very partial. His son Ammon for example. Did he see his father late on in life. Repent and turn to the Lord. The very opposite. Ammon continued unrelentingly. In the sin of Manasseh. Until his death. So we have his grandfather. The grandfather of Josiah. We have the father of Josiah. And we read about them. That he did that which was evil. In the sight of the Lord This is Ammon as Manasseh did. And that he served the idols that his father had served and worshipped them. And he trespassed more and more. That was the home in which Josiah was brought up in. It was a home that knew a little bit about religion. Because Manasseh had turned back to the Lord in his captivity in Babylon. But it was a home that was just saturated in corruption. Bishop Hall, the the Puritan, in his contemplations, I love the way he puts in some of the contrasts. He said, Ammon succeeded in the sins of Manasseh's youth. Josiah, his grandchild, succeeded in the virtues of his age. But what a vast difference doth grace make in the same age. Manasseh began his reign at 12 years of age. Josiah, His grandson began his reign at eight years of age. Manasseh was brought up under the godly king Hezekiah. Josiah was misnurtured under the godless Ammon. And yet Manasseh runs to idolatries whilst Josiah is holy and devout. It is hard to explain. It's hard to explain, brethren and sisters, how a young man brought up in a godly home can turn out one of the worst renegade kings of Judah and here's another young man Josiah brought up in a totally ungodly home and he turns out to be one of the greatest kings that Judah ever had. What's the only explanation? The spirit of God breathes and the spirit of God works and we have to submit to the the sovereign will of God's spirit so though Josiah was brought up in the corrupt court of his father Ammon, he was exposed to all of the depraved behavior he didn't follow the example of his father the bible tells us he had a better example in verse 2 it says he walked in the way of David his father that's amazing because David was king many centuries previously uh, to Josiah and I suspect that his, mo- that his mother, who is mentioned in the opening verses, Jediah, uh, had an influence for God upon the young king. And if that were so, what an influential mother she must have been, for she trained up a prince who was to be a reformer and whom God was going to use in revival in the land of Judah. The young king, with the tender heart, was used to bring reformation. And revival to his kingdom. The prophetess Huldah sent word to him from God. uh, That he would not live to see the judgment of God that would ultimately come to befall upon Judah. Why? Because his heart was tender. He would be taken away before the judgment would fall. Because he had a tender heart. One of the greatest challenges for us as Christians is not to allow coldness and cynicism and indifference to take over our lives. And to keep our hearts tender before Almighty God. And that's a challenge to me in the pulpit. It's a challenge to you in the pew. And let me just counsel you again this evening what will set you apart as set Josiah apart will be a tender heart God blesses a tender heart so I would look to look at this text with you tonight 2nd Kings chapter 22 verse 19 there's some lessons here for us how to keep the heart tender and from the reign of Josiah that will enable us uh, to be set apart uh, by God in 2024 and we pray used of God in reformation and revival in our own land so first of all let's consider that in order uh, to have a tender heart there has to be true true humiliation before almighty God we read in verse 19 it said thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord Josiah was humbled he was humbled when he heard about the righteous judgments of God upon the nation. He, he knew when he heard read the rediscovered law of God in the house of the Lord what it meant. Judgment was coming. The nation was going to be uh, dispersed. It was going to suffer the wrath of Almighty God. And Do you know why I believe what struck the heart of Josiah was that his father, his grandfather was responsible for it. Ammon, Manasseh were responsible in part for the judgments that were going to befall the land of Judah. They were going to be taken into captivity because of his family tree. And that humbled him. And it tells us that he wept before the Lord. And in Eastern fashion, he rent his garments. The rent garments were just to show the broken heart. And very intentionally the Bible says he humbled himself before the Lord. Now to find a king who is humble is a, ver- is a rarity indeed. To find, a hum- to, to find true humility is a rarity indeed. And you and I are just like Josiah. We need to humble ourselves before Almighty God. Pride has no place in the heart of the Christian. In 1 Corinthians 4 and 6 it says these things brethren I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up one against another for who maketh thee to differ from another and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? A very telling words here of the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, Why are you proud? Do you think you're better than other people? If you think you're better than other people, just remember, anything you have, spiritually speaking, God gave it to you. If you're saved tonight on the way to heaven... It's not because you're better than anybody else. Oh, we know. We know that not to be the case. We know our family tree. We're from the family of Adam. We're from a lost, broken race. What have any of us to boast about or to proclaim that we're better than anybody else? Those that are saved in this meeting tonight, what differentiates you from others is just the grace of God which is unmerited and unfavored to you and the Bible then goes on to say in first Corinthians 10 and 12 wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall if we have anything it's because grace has bestowed it since we have believed genuine humility is before God it's not before men thy heart was humble and thou didst humble thyself before God. It was before Almighty God. That's the whole point of the text. God took notice of a humble heart before him and his ear is always ready to hear the cry from a humble, contrite heart. We read about uh, the one who inhabiteth eternity in Isaiah 57 and verse 15. He, he assures us, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a, a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. There's no revival for pride. Pride dug hell and damned the devil. There's no revival for the church that is proud of itself and thinks it's, it's better than other people or the Christian who thinks that he or she is better than other people. Others have pointed out, and I think it's, it's worthwhile to point out again. There's a difference between being humble, being humble, and being humbled. There are people who have been humbled, but they're not humble. I think of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was humbled by the plagues that befell, Israel, befell Egypt. Egypt was destroyed, the world's superpower of today. Was destroyed by frogs and lice. And water turned into blood and so forth. God brought that great nation down. Pharaoh was humbled. But he was never humble. He had a proud heart until he was drowned in the Red Sea. And there are people like that along the journey. Unconverted people. And God humbles them. God takes this from them. God takes that from them. But they're not They've, they've been humbled, but they're not humble yet before Almighty God. I want to say to you tonight, what is God to do to humble you that you would be humble? Has he to put you on the broad of your back in an A&E unit before you'll cry unto him for mercy? Have you to lose everything before you realize that heaven is free for you to gain? What is God to do in order to humble you? It's the work of grace in the soul of the heavenly pilgrim to work humility. The very process of sanctification, it involves being humbled in order to be truly humble. If you want to see this work out, I would recommend to you John Bunyan's classic a. Pilgrim's Progress. And in part of that allegory in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim comes to the place called the Valley, the Valley of Humiliation. And as he leaves the palace beautiful, he's given a sword and a shield, and he's going to have to use these two implements in the Valley of Humiliation because there, in that Valley of Humiliation, he is made aware of his own sin, he's made aware of his own failures, he's made aware of his own faults. Uh, And most of all, he has to come face to face with Apollyon, the devil himself. There is nothing, there is nothing in this world to humble the Christian and to know his or her own heart. Christian's instinct in the valley is to turn and run. But he realises I've got nothing to cover my back. I have to face the enemy. And the only way he got out of that valley. Was by using the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. As we face our enemies. Within. And without. In 2024. God will work humility in our hearts. You know if you're proud of something tonight. Sitting in this meeting. God is only to open the door of the heart, of your heart, to show you you have nothing to be proud about. You have nothing to be proud about. May the Lord humble us all, keep us humble. True humiliation is, of course, conformity to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read of Christ in Philippians 2 and 8. Those great words, He humbled Himself. He humbled Himself. In life, how humble was Christ? We've only passed the Christmas season, and that great Christmas carol that we, we, we sang at the carol service of, of Wesley's, that the eternal God was contracted to a span. Meaning that he was a little unborn child in the womb of the Virgin Mary, eternity contracted to a span as humility. In life, how humble was Christ. Remember the wonderful incident in John's Gospel chapter (coughs) thirteen at the Passover, where he would instigate the, the Lord's Supper, initiate the Lord's Supper. He took the role of the servant, he took the basin of water, he took the towel and he bowed below before his disciples and he started to wash their feet. It was not the master's job to do that, it was the servant's job to do that but he set an example before us and that's exactly what he says, I have set before you an example, an example of humility, an example of servitude in death and burial we see the true depths of that humiliation in Hebrews 5 and 8 we read though we were a son yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered the great messianic words of Psalm 22 and 6 it said I am a worm and no man a reproach of men and despised of the people on the cross of Calvary it was as if the Lord Jesus was a worm and no man powerless It's powerless. As we look to the cross of Calvary again this evening, we see that bloody form and that center cross of the man of sorrows. We're looking this morning in the Bible class at how the Lord Jesus Christ, he did not die guiltless. He died the guilty. Because the guilt of the sins of the people of God were placed upon Christ. And he died the guilty that you and I might go guiltless. <coughs> That's humility. We, we bow in deep contrition when we think of his sufferings. May the Lord work through humility in our heart. I don't think it's possible for a Christian to sit at this table tonight and be proud. I don't think it's possible. I said what? he took those words and he penned them and they have been sung in, in countless languages and countless times. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Josiah was set apart because he humbled himself. You know the battle is fought and won in our hearts. Even the battle for souls is fought and won in our hearts. We're thinking of the works of uh, C.H. Spurgeon over the past few weeks in soul winning. And Spurgeon in in part of that uh, little book that he has on soul winning. He reminds the soul winner that this is soul work. Soul winning is heart work. I wonder is your heart tender tonight before Almighty God? Remember the old saying that men fall in private long before they fall in public. And I would counsel you this evening to keep your heart tender. Keep it tender before the Lord. If you allow your heart to grow cold and hard and indifferent, there's a fall coming. But look at this text again. And secondly, in order to have a tender heart, There has to be reformation, there has to be renewal according to the word of God. Not just humility before the Lord, but whatever we do, it has to be according to the word of God. Josiah's heart was so tender to what God said in his word. If he did that which is right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father, uh, he was following a godly example. The Bible tells us, in 1 Chronicles 28 and 11, that David gave the divine plans to Solomon, his son, in order that he would build the temple. David spent his whole life preparing to build the temple. He spent his whole life gathering the materials for the temple. He spent his whole life organizing the Levites and all of the various courses for the service of God in the temple. And when he wanted to build it, God said, No, David, you're not going to build it. Give the plans to Solomon. He has to build it. My young Josiah at 16 years of age, in the eighth year of his reign, the Bible says whilst he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David. I'm glad we have young people in the meeting tonight. 16 and maybe just a little bit above it. And what does the Lord say to you? You're not too young to seek God. You're not too young to seek the Lord and to come to know the Lord. Over three centuries had passed from David was on the throne. And what did Josiah want? He wanted to go back to where his father David had set the pattern and put the plan for the building of the temple. He wanted to go back in time. Josiah was a young man, but he was no modern innovator. He wanted to go back to what God had revealed to King David. We have a whole hue and cry in the the broad evangelical church today. In order to get the young people in, you'll have to innovate, you'll have to allow them the, the, the praise band, you'll have to allow them the drama, and all the other stuff that goes with it today. But Josiah didn't want any of that stuff, the equivalent in his day. He wanted to go back near three centuries to his father David. And he wanted the same pattern, he wanted the same plan. And from the example of David and what God revealed to him, Josiah started in his twelfth year of reigning a nationwide purge of idolatry. Did he go to the places of gross immorality? Because that's what the idolatry uh, that Ammon and Manasseh had engaged in was. It was just lewd, sensual idolatry. Did he go to it? No, he dismantled it. The very idols that his father and his grandfather had raised in, a, in idolatrous worship. He, he set that second stage of his whole uh, reign about bringing it to naught. And he reacted to the light that he had been given. He didn't have the word of God at this time. He had the example of David. He was reading history. He was learning from the historians. He, he was learning what his, uh, his uh, father David had done. And step by step God was revealing to him what he should do and obediently we see young Josiah complying with what was revealed to him. And it argues well for the spiritual future and welfare of the church and of the land when young people want to study church history. Not just to learn what the latest guru says, the latest 10 points to have a church in revival or whatever it is. The case may be, but they want to go back in time. They want to really study how our forefathers did it and why God blessed them in the doing of it. And that's why it's good, I believe, as a church for us to study the ancient confessions, to study the creeds, to study the catechisms of the church, so that this generation has a link with the previous generations that have gone out into God's eternity. I know not everything in the past was right and inversely not everything in the present is wrong but if we lose her spiritual moorings on our historical theological identity brethren and sisters we can forget about ever seeing another reformation and revival in our land what would we be reviving we wouldn't even know what we wanted to revive Josiah's heart was further challenged When in the 18th year of his reign, that was at only 26 years of age, he started to repair the house of the Lord, his God. 2 Kings chapter 22 verse 3 to 7. The parallel chapter is 2 Chronicles chapter 34 verse 8 to 13. And what a job that was. It had been two and a half centuries, nearly 250 years from anybody had repaired the temple. Think on it. None of us will ever see 250 years. Will this building even be there in 250 years? I don't know. Where it will be, and I know where we'll all be, we'll all be in God's eternity. But what a restoration work must have uh, been needed, especially after the idolatry of Manasseh and the ruinous reign of Ammon, because they brought into the temple precincts and an environment the idolatry of the heathen and what did Josiah this young man brought up from this uh, corrupt family tree what did he said about doing he said about purging not only the land but he said about repairing the temple I think when people say to me well what are we well I, I would say Well, we are a reformed Protestant evangelical church. But is that all we are? Is that all we are? If that's all we are, it's not very much. We ought ever to be a reforming church. Not just reformed, but always reforming. Josiah wanted the temple to be according to the plans that that God gave to David, David gave to Solomon. And we have plans. This is, our, this is our plan here, this book, this, this Holy Bible. This is the book that God has given to us. And as Josiah wanted to remodel the temple, repair the temple, upon the plan that David had given to Solomon, that had been given to uh, him by Almighty God, so our desire ought to be to have our sanctuaries as close as, close as possible to the New Testament model you want to know what that model is? But well, having time to go there is Acts chapter 2 verse 41 to 47. That uh, infant church there at Jerusalem full of New Testament converts under the leadership of the apostles. I don't need new development books or motivation books to teach me what New Testament Christianity is. I just need to go back to the plan that's the plan as the temple was being repaired a wonderful discovery was made which was going to change the king and impact the nation and that was in verse 8 to 10 Hilkiah uh, found a copy of the law of Moses oh for hundreds of years it had lain uh, hidden in the temple but now it had been rediscovered again and it was read to Josiah And Josiah, as he heard the word of God being read, the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, uh, we, we, uh, we know it to be, his heart was smitten. Remember, he had a tender heart. It's always good to have a tender heart when you listen to the reading of the word of God, the preaching of the word of God. And he only heard it read once. And immediately he knew something had to be done. Some of you have heard that Bible read from your childhood. And nothing has been done. Josiah heard it read once. And immediately he knew change had to happen. And change was going to happen. He heard what was going to happen to the land when it apostasied in Deuteronomy. Chapter 28 verse 15 to 68. And he sent to know more about it. And he sent for a lady. Amazing. Amazing. A prophetess, there are three prophetesses in the Old Testament scriptures and they are all used of God. Remember at the same time Josiah reigned, Jeremiah prophesied. Where was Jeremiah? Well, I believe if Jeremiah had been at Jerusalem, he would have sent for Jeremiah. Jeremiah was obviously on other business that the Lord had engaged for him. But he sent for Huldah, this prophetess, and she told him, plainly, she didn't mince her words, she didn't try to honey it, she didn't try to water it down, she didn't try to make it out to be something that it wasn't. She just told it as it was, that Judah was going to be punished. The Lord, she said in verse twenty-four, Second Chronicles 34, 24, 25, the Lord will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof even all the curses that are written in the book of the law which they have read before the king of Judah because they have forsaken me and have burnt incense unto other gods that they may provoke me to anger and the response of Josiah was just immediate he immediately called an assembly of all the religious leaders of all of the the people and as the law was read to him so he had the law read to them and they had to take the time to listen it. And God used the reading of scriptures to show the people their sin. And blessed by the spirit of God, people and monarch entered into a new covenant with God. As I have said to you before here on many times, we make a huge mistake. A huge mistake when we think that we can dispense with the public reading of God's word and the worship of God some people say, well, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read my text. Well, I I honestly don't think there's any excuse for that. Because you, you should cut out the hymn. You should cut out the singing. You should cut out something else. But you should never cut out what God directly says to us from his word in the reading of the holy scriptures in the worship of God. And as those scriptures were read... God started to speak and God started to move. An action was taken. You know sometimes as we read the the word of God. The spirit of God impresses something into our hearts and into our minds. We know we have to do something. And yet there's something in the back of our mind. And uh, we say no it doesn't make sense to do that. The Lord's saying to you you tonight in the meeting, perhaps, come to the Lord tonight. And you're thinking, no, I I couldn't come to the Lord tonight because I have to meet people tomorrow at school, at college, at work, wherever it is. And they would ridicule me. They would laugh at me. And the Spirit of God is prompting you by the Word of God. But all these other things are, are holding you back. Maybe there's some older person in the meeting and God has been convicting you about something in your life. And you haven't done anything about it. May the Lord tenderize your heart to make you do it. I this is illustrated many times. I've often thought about that incident. In Luke's Gospel chapter 5 verse 4 and 5. Uh, we read about uh, the disciples and the Lord told them to lunch out. Into the deep and let down their nets for a draft. And and Simon answering said unto him. Master we have toiled all night and have taken nothing. It was as if Simon was saying to Jesus. Do you not know we're fishermen? Do you not know that we know how to fish? And you're telling us in daylight to put those nets down again. It doesn't make sense. But I love this little uh, word that's put in here. Nevertheless. At thy word, I will let down the net. It mightn't make sense to you, brethren and sisters, what the Lord's prompting you to do, what the Lord is urging you to do, but I would just say to you, consider the nevertheless. Nevertheless, do it. Nevertheless, do it. Just remember the nevertheless. When the devil would say to you, it doesn't make sense. As Josiah read the word, He called for the Passover to be reinstated and celebrated. In verse 21 we read the king commanded all the people saying keep the Passover unto the Lord your God as it is written in the book of this covenant. Keep the Passover I was looking that up it's a direct reference to Deuteronomy chapter 16 that whole chapter keep the Passover. And there was such a a celebration of that Passover that was never had before in the history of the nation of Judah. We read about the lavish provision that was made for the keeping of this Passover. We read in 2 Chronicles 35 and 7. Josiah gave to the people of the flock, lambs and kids. All for the Passover offerings. For all that were present to the number of 30,000. 3,000 bullocks. These were of the king's substance. What, what blood flowed in Israel at that Passover? The whole land uh, enjoyed the celebration and partook, partook of the, the provision that the king had set before them. And that was only the provision of the king. It wasn't the provision of the leading men. You can read of all the other extra provision that was made. Keep the Passover. Hearts are kept Tender. When we keep close to the sacrifice of Christ. When we preach the cross. When we remind individuals. That it's through this death. This death of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we remember at this table tonight. That there's any hope for us in God's great eternity. Keep the sacrifice. Uh, Does that not remind you of another command? This do in remembrance of me. Keep the Passover. Now Jesus says to us this evening. This do in remembrance of me. At the start of this new year. We gather around this table. And we thank him. We thank him for the blood that was shed. We thank him from sincere hearts. For the sacrifice that was made. We keep the Passover according to the word of God. This New Testament Passover. Which we observe this evening. If we desire reformation and revival, we're thinking about that this morning. Revive us again, that's our prayer for 2024. Then we have to make much of the sacrifice of Christ. Our hearts will be kept tender if we keep close to the central message of the Bible the sacrificial Lamb of God. In closing, Hearts will be kept tender when there's an earnest intercession uh, with God. Josiah knew what it was to weep and the Bible says he cried unto the Lord in verse 19 or text. And what was the answer heaven give back? I have heard thee. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He, he cried unto the Lord. This was the word this young man at 26 years of age got. Josiah, I hear you. I have heard thee. What reassurance. God told him he was going to be spared from the, the evil that was to come, from the judgment that was to come. And. Verse 20 said, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil that I bring upon this place. God said, Josiah, you're going to be spared the curse that's going to fall the land. And this godly king, instead, God had another plan for Josiah. He was going to be gathered unto his people. While he lived, that little nation of Judah prospered materially, uh, spiritually. Militarily the praying king was heard, and judgment upon the land was spared. I know as I thought of those words this week I couldn't help but wonder, would my passing and analog make any difference? Your praying is my praying, withholding the judgment of God. Remember in the days of Noah. The flood did not come until God brought them into the ark. They had to be taken away. until that final moment Noah was preaching. He was a preacher of righteousness. He was pleading. He was praying. He had a tender heart right to the end of his reign. And I believe God withheld his hand from the land. Because of a young man, 26 years of age, with a tender heart. That knew how to plead with God. In the mysterious providence of God he died on the battlefield various commentators have tried to maybe portray that he died in vain because he would doubt remember to battle against uh, uh, the great king of, of Egypt Pharaoh Necho and he was going to do battle with the Assyrians but in order to do battle with the Assyrians he had to cross through the borders of Judah And in order to protect the integrity of the borders of Judah, he went out to meet him in order to fulfill his alignment with the Assyrian allies. Because he was a vassal king at the end of the day. He had to go out and face that man. And it was not his own personal safety that stood foremost in his mind. It was the kingdom. It was the kingdom. We read in. Second Chronicles thirty five twenty five, Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And well he should have. Because after King Josiah died, Judah never had a godly ruler ever again. And within twenty two years the whole kingdom was destroyed. Your praying does make a difference. Godly supplication does make a difference. Not just to your life, but to the life of those round about you. To the land, to the nation. Let's not doubt our intercessions with God. And let's continue to plead with God for the land. And brethren and sisters, let us pray. Let's pray earnestly. Lord, keep our hearts tender. Sensitive to the strivings, the movings of the Holy Ghost that they might be used of the Lord in the days of